John chapter 16. Uh, It's the the night of Jesus' arrest. He will very soon be betrayed and arrested and tried and killed. He and the disciples are probably at this moment walking through the darkening streets of Jerusalem and out into the fields and vineyards of the Kidron Valley on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will pray. Uh, Next week, we're going to finish this this little series in John's Gospel. We'll take four weeks off. Uh, But uh, next week, we finish by hearing what Jesus prays. And then uh, we'll come back to John for the run into Easter. So, uh, so Jesus will, uh, will soon lead the disciples in prayer. That's, uh, that's next week. But today, this week, we're looking at the last part of what he wants to say to them and teach them uh, on this dark night. So let's read John chapter 16 from verse 16 uh, down to the end of the chapter. So Jesus speaking. John 16, verse 16. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so, they said, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I mean when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. When, uh, then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, 
but take heart. I have overcome the world. And we finish our reading there, and, and this, is, this is God's word. Uh, so in chapter 17, Jesus will pray with his disciples. Uh, and so today, as we finish chapter 16, uh, we're listening to the last of what Jesus wants to teach them. And the topic on his mind is joy. And that sounds good to us, because who doesn't want to think about joy? Uh, who doesn't want to have joy? Um, Sports fans want to rejoice at the blast of the final whistle, the hoisting of the trophy, the acceptance of the gold medal, uh, the, the winner's parade through the streets of their hometown. Uh, maybe I should have cut the sports reference out today, but um, well, it's still in there. We want joy, don't we? We want joy. Um, there are events and, and seasons in our lives, of course, which bring us joy. Family milestones, close relationships and friendships, uh, children, celebrations, even workplace achievements can give us real joy. Uh, and we talk about being overjoyed as if it's possible to be uh, filled up too much with joy and it kind of has to spill over like a tap going into a cup and we forgot to turn it off and it's just uh, bubbling all over the place. More joy than we can handle. Uh, and that definitely is of interest to us, isn't it? You might be in a season of joy and be very keen to, to hold on to that and keep experiencing that. Uh, or you may be in a season of sorrow, under all manner of pressure, um, experiencing different kinds of pain and just longing for a little joy. Uh, either way, I think we find ourselves interested to hear what Jesus has to say today, because here in this passage, Jesus promises true joy. In fact, let's get straight to the point, because Jesus doesn't simply promise joy, but that in him... Our sorrow turns into joy. And that's our, that's our first lesson this morning. In Jesus, sorrow turns into joy. Um, so at first, at the top of our passage, Jesus returns again to this theme of the evening, this running theme that he will soon be going away and leaving his disciples. So verse 16, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And that leads to some confusion among them, doesn't it? In verses 17 and 18, we might imagine uh, the disciples in little huddles around the upper room where they've just finished a meal or, as I suspect, in little groups as they travel and walk through, uh, from that room through the streets of Jerusalem, through the, uh, the, the vineyards and olive groves outside the city on their way to, to Gethsemane. As they walk along, they're kind of glancing at each other and you know, what, what does he mean? They're shrugging. Uh, see if anyone can sort of shed some light on what is Jesus talking about? We still don't really, don't really get it. So verse 17, some of the disciples said, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And also they, they, they're still struggling with this phrase, because I'm going to the Father. What does that mean? Uh, and they kept asking, and, and you can imagine the little huddles. Uh, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. And it seems that Jesus is talking about the experience that they're going to share over the next few days of that first Easter. So overnight, that very night, Jesus will be arrested and subjected to a, a sham trial. And the following day, Good Friday, uh, he'll be crucified and buried in a tomb. Uh, he will have gone away from them. He will have gone to his Father, uh, to God, and to God the Father in the heavenly realms. But after a little while, uh, come Sunday, Easter Sunday, they will see him again when he's resurrected from the dead. 
Now, in verse 19, uh, Jesus notices that they're confused, uh, but he still doesn't explain things plainly to them, does he? Uh, After all, explaining to them exactly what's about to happen is not likely to leave them less confused. Uh, And in fact, there's something worse than confusion coming their way, and that is sorrow. In 24 hours' time, they're going to be devastated. They'll have lost their teacher, their friend, their Lord, their hope. Uh, And what's worse, as they grieve, as they grieve, the world will be rejoicing, throwing a party on the very same event. So verse 20 uh, says, and maybe you've got it in front of you, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And remember the world in John's gospel, the world stands for the human race in rebellion against God. And that includes plenty of the people and the leaders of God's own nation, the Jews of Israel. They will take great pleasure in mocking and ridiculing Jesus as he hangs on the cross. It's going to be a good day for them. What sort of king is this? What sort of savior is hanging up there? Look at him, helpless, powerless, dying. But in Jesus, sorrow turns to joy. So verse 20 says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And I think the striking thing about that is that Jesus doesn't say that their grief will be replaced with joy, but that their grief will turn to joy. Uh, We might expect him to say that their grief over his death on the cross will be uh, kind of pushed to one side and replaced with joy over his resurrection from the dead, that their grief over one thing uh, will be overcome by grief and uh, by joy in something else. Uh, But Jesus doesn't say that. He says their grief will turn to joy. Their sorrow over the cross will turn into joy that their sin was overcome on that cross. Their, Their sorrow over the devastation of the cross will turn into joy at the everlasting victory of the cross. Um, the very thing that brings them sorrow will in fact bring them joy. Once it's delivered, once it's done, they're not going to wish that it hadn't happened. They're going to be overjoyed that it's done. Uh, And Jesus has a little picture of that in verse 21. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Uh, and if you're, you're a mum who's given birth or a dad who's kind of paced up and down the floor of the delivery room, uh, you know that labor and childbirth is scary and difficult and painful. And that's because of the child that is born and uh, because of the process. Uh, but once the child is born and, and is held in the arms, that very same child, which was the source of fear uh, and, and a dread for that hour that's come, <laughs> our time uh, that's come, Uh, day, uh, that very same child becomes the source of incredible joy. Um, Verse 22, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Jesus will go through the anguish of the cross and only then through the glory of the resurrection. But when he returns to see the disciples again as the resurrected Lord, they will rejoice. And John will, John will describe a few scenes of that in chapters 20 and 21. Um, the, the penny takes a little while to drop that it's really him, especially for Thomas. 
but they will rejoice because he's alive forevermore. And they will even come to rejoice in the cross itself because the salvation Jesus has achieved happened there at the cross. It's the most brilliant outpouring of the self-giving love of God. And the same world that rejoiced to see Jesus put to death will now be powerless itself to take away the joy of people who know what, that he died for them and rose to give them true life. So verse 22, he says, these precious words, I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. You might be in a season of joy right now yourself, uh, taking some enjoyment uh, in some you know, circumstance, some satisfying or happy state of things in, yeah, in your life. Um, and, and that's great. And I don't want to burst your bubble by suggesting those things can change. We know they can, but we enjoy them in the season, don't we? Uh, we know that joy can be lost. We don't like to think about that. It kind of uh, defeats the, the enjoyment. Um, or perhaps you, you already know that anyway because you're in a season of sorrow and some of your enjoyment from some happy uh, situation is, is finished now. Your joy is gone from that now because that situation has changed. Well, no one can take away our joy in Jesus. Um, maybe, you've seen, um, maybe you've seen children swimming and when they think that they're out of their depth, they panic a little bit, don't they? Maybe, I don't know, maybe some of the grown-ups here are not really strong swimmers either. And if you, just the thought of being out of your depth is a little bit nerve-wracking. Uh, and you can panic a little bit. But when the child puts his foot down and discovers, oh, I can stand. <laughs> I can stand here. And the panic over being in the water turns back to pleasure at being in the water. Um, but we need to put our feet down and stand by faith on the Lord Jesus. We might still be in the water. It might be rough and it might be cold and look, it could be full of sharks. I'll be explaining that one later to the kids. Not really full of sharks, but figuratively speaking, uh, you know, we can be, we can be in a, a tricky place, but with our feet planted on Jesus, we can have joy and no one can take that away. Uh, in fact, in Jesus, sorrow turns to joy. So the disciples are confused uh, and rather than try to kind of explain everything to them, uh, Jesus warns them simply that their confusion is going to get worse. It's going to be replaced with sorrow, but that he will turn their sorrow into joy. Uh, that's what they need to know to get through the first few days, uh, the next few days of this first Easter. So uh, in Jesus, sorrow turns to joy. Another thing that they uh, need to know or benefit from knowing is that in Jesus, we can come to the Father. In Jesus, we can come to the Father. Why don't we read a little bit uh, from verse 25? So if you've still got that in front of you, uh, that'd be helpful. So verse 25, Jesus again, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. 
So uh, the disciples' uh, sorrow will turn to joy when they see Jesus again uh, on Easter Sunday, risen from the dead, alive forevermore. The devastation of the cross will begin to make sense to them, uh, not as a defeat, but as a glorious victory that Jesus has won for us. Uh, But it isn't just in God the Son that their joy is going to be found, but in God the Father. The resurrection of Jesus changes our relationship to God the Father as well. Jesus completes his rescue mission and we are adopted into his family so that his father becomes our father. Uh, You remember John chapter 1, all those however long ago. uh, To all who received him, uh, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus' father is our father. And so the attention of the disciples is going to shift. So verse 23, in that day, uh, so when Jesus rises, uh, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you've not asked for anything in my name. So uh, what does that mean? I think that they've not really been able to come to God the Father in prayer in the name of Jesus, not fully anyway, because uh, the cross, the the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's the moment when Jesus uh, mediating in between role is really finished and completed. Um, When Jesus uh, died and rose again, he became that perfect go-between. And think of it like this, that Jesus puts his arm around us and leads us into, uh, into his Father's home, into the throne room of heaven, if you like, uh, leads us to the Father to receive the warmest of welcomes and the absolute assurance of the Father's love for us and his delight in us. We're not just, you know, what the cat dragged in. Jesus has put his arm around us and led us into the loving presence of God. So verse 27, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So if you like, we, we agreed to come with Jesus. Jesus has led us to his Father and we are adopted. His Father becomes our Father. And having been brought in by the Son to the loving embrace and the adoption of the Father, we now belong with God. So uh, verse 26 then in that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. We don't have to stand behind Jesus, if you like. Verse 23 again, I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Uh, And a little bit later in verse 24, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete or your joy will be full. Jesus brings us into the family of God as children that God loves, children in whom he delights, God's own children, and God our Father absolutely wants us to come and ask him for everything that we need. Uh, Children, of course, uh, often ask uh, uh, for gifts uh, which are not really in keeping with their best interests. I remember a few years ago, I read a survey of, of the most outrageous Christmas present requests that children had come up with. There was, um, I have to read this because it's so bizarre. There was a chainsaw, a combine harvester, a crocodile, a tattoo. (coughs) So shocking, I'm coughing. (coughs) And my own personal favorite, if you recognize the movie reference, it's a few years old, a real panda that does kung fu. Uh, Well, good luck, uh, good luck mom and dad finding those gifts. 
Um, now, however imperfectly, uh, parents do know pretty well what's best for their children, don't, don't they? I mean, there's a very limited set of circumstances in which a crocodile is a good gift for a child. Uh, now, at the same time, a parent's will for a child, what the parent wants for the child, might involve uh, saying no, might involve periods of discipline even. And as the Bible says, no discipline is pleasant at the time, but it reaps a harvest later. And as adults, we might well be thankful to, uh, to our parents for, for good discipline uh, that, that perhaps they gave us at times when we were young. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. Uh, he knows best for us. He has his good plan for us, and he is raising us and shaping us, molding us to be more and more like Jesus. And that's something of what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. So we're coming to, uh, to our Father, his Father, our Father, uh, with his infinite resources, which he's stored up for us. And we're asking him to supply all that we need to grow in the ways that he desires, uh, to grow up in the way that he wants for us, becoming more and more like Jesus uh, throughout our whole lives. We, we are the child coming to the parent saying, will you help me, uh, will you help me to grow up to be uh, the, to be the person uh, you want me to be. And, and Jesus says, ask, 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 ask. Ask and you will receive, he says, and your joy will be complete. So for example, I mean, I don't think you should ask for a crocodile or a real panda that does kung fu, but um, for example, what might you ask for? Well, when the alarm sounds tomorrow morning to get you out of bed and you, you need to get up, but you know really difficult circumstances of the day ahead, the responsibilities that are weighing on you, the the struggles that you're facing, your loving father would have you pause and ask him for the patience and the perseverance that you need for that day ahead. Or, you know, when you receive an email or a text message from a friend or or someone in your church family, and it was maybe written in a, a, a hurry and not just worded the best and maybe a little bit insensitive or something, your loving Father would have you come and ask for the, the grace to, uh, to be um, generous and forgiving and caring, just as he has been to you. Uh, our loving Father would, come, would have us come and ask him for uh, the strength to flee temptation, uh, or the desire to love him more than the call of sin, or for the humility that we need in our relationships, or the wisdom that we need in our parenting, because sometimes that's so difficult or for the hunger that we need for his word when we just, we just don't want to, and it's confusing, and it's, we need that hunger from him, and he wants to give us that, or the delight that we need in prayer to keep us praying, or for the compassion that we need for the lost, or for the joy that we need in trials, or for the gentleness that we need in church, or even for the, the eyes to see the incredible place that we have as his beloved children. Ask, 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 says Jesus. And let's not miss the fact that our joy in Jesus and our assurance and experience of our Father's love for us are absolutely superglued to our praying. Uh, how will we have everything God wants to give us? And how will we grow uh, into the people God would make us if we don't want that? We've got to want it. And how do we know we want it if we're not asking for it? Let's ask, 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 ask. Ask for all that God wants to give us. Ask in Jesus' name. God is our Father. He loves us. He delights in us. 
He wants to pour out all that we need, not for an easy life, not so that we never struggle with these things. You're not going to get perseverance in trials by him taking away the trial, but he wants us to become people of Christ-like character, becoming more and more like the Lord with whom we cannot wait to spend eternity. So on this fearful night, the disciples are are confused, and that confusion is soon going to become sorrow as Jesus is killed and buried, but that sorrow will turn to joy as he's raised, and the cross itself is revealed as the masterstroke of victory and the perfect proof of God's love for us. So lastly, we come back to the whole point of these, these chapters, the whole point of this little sermon series, and the whole point of what Jesus has shared in them. So chapter, uh, chapters 14 to 16, they're all about this. In Jesus, we have peace. In Jesus, we have peace. Uh, let's pick up in verse 29, where the disciples, uh, the disciples um, either believe that they, they understand Jesus, or they've started to just bluff a little bit. Um, so then Jesus' disciples said, Oh, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. So uh, unfortunately, the disciples don't seem to have picked up on what Jesus is saying about joy. Uh, They don't really seem to have picked up on what he's saying about their access to a loving Heavenly Father, but they're quite impressed that Jesus was able to answer a question that they didn't actually ask him, uh, not out loud. So I think that's what verse 30 means. We see that you know all things and you don't even need to have anyone ask you questions. <laughs> uh, I think that's the, the, the point of this strange opening to, to this uh, passage where there's so many re- repetitions of this, in a little while you will see me, and they didn't understand. So they're kind of bouncing this question around. Verse 19, uh, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me. They're impressed that he knew what they were wondering. Uh, That's what they're still thinking about. They don't seem to have taken in much of what he said, and so I think we need to read verse 31 with a tone of irony or gentle sarcasm, and depending on your Bible version, you might even see it expressed as a question. Do you now believe? So verse 31, uh, oh, you you believe at last. (laughs) Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you'll be scattered each to his own home. So they think they believe, they think they understand, but the next 24 hours will paint a different picture as they abandon him uh, to their own homes. Uh, But even that is not outside the, the plans of God, so you will leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. God is at work more powerfully and more graciously than they could ever imagine, and certainly more than, uh, more than we can really expect them to understand. They are, they are living in the moment that is the turning of the ages. Uh, it would be a lot to expect them to understand it all, wouldn't it? Um, what, they, what they will need to do for the next few days, when Jesus goes away to be with his Father, is keep trusting him. So verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What a statement, given what's going to happen to him over the next uh, 24 hours. I have overcome the world. 
And remember how these chapters began, uh, was it chapter 14? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Or a little bit further down, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so here again in verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Remember the world is humanity and rebellion against God, but Jesus has overcome. Uh, That's what his final step of death and resurrection will do. It will literally overcome sin and death. Uh, the world will still give us trouble, and I think um, kind of more literally pressure. It will give us pressure, but we are uh, still in a world that's set against God, and it will put pressure on us. But Jesus has overcome so that in him we can have peace. Um, Remember in the Bible, peace is not, uh, peace is not, it's not like a fragile standoff uh, or truce. Um, or something like the sort of thing we're seeing today in Ukraine, but maybe not tomorrow. Um, Peace is the outbreak of love and friendship between us and God, uh, and between us and each other, relationships restored, uh, built on a different foundation now, on Jesus. Uh, And peace with God and uh, peace with each other means peace in our hearts and our minds, inner peace. Um, The world wants that, doesn't it? Inner peace. No shortage of people uh, to try and tell you how to get inner peace, but inner peace only comes uh, along with peace with God and peace with others, peace in Christ. It's a package deal. Uh, It's how we're wired. It's how we're made. It's what we really need. The only peace that's truly compatible with our wiring is peace from God in Christ. And so as we finish, if you want inner peace, if you want peace of heart and peace of mind and peace of spirit, Uh, that's where you need to go, to Jesus. Um, If you want peace in that wholesome, nourishing, nurturing uh, way, you know, good relationships, uh, peace with God, inner peace, that's where you need to go, to Jesus. If you want peace in your soul, peace with God himself, the truest, deepest peace that is possible, uh, and the, the love of our maker and our heavenly father for us, Uh, and joy that no one and nothing can take away. If you want all of that, this is where you need to go. You need to go to Jesus. In Jesus, our sorrow turns into joy. In Jesus, we can come to our loving Father, and in Jesus, we can have true peace. So come to Jesus. Draw near to Jesus, and stick with Jesus. Why don't we pray for his help uh, to do these things? Let's pray. Father, some of us may be feeling more sorrowful than joyful, and so we ask for more of that joy in Jesus that no one and nothing can take away. Some of us might be feeling a bit lost and alone and helpless, and so we ask that we would know both the real and pure and unbreakable love that you have for us as our Father, and also the resources that you long for us to ask for so that we grow more like Jesus. And some of us may be feeling very ill at ease, 
in our faith, in our walk with you, or, or feeling the pain of strained relationships, or feeling pressures of all sort from the outside world. And so we ask for the peace that only Jesus can give, peace with you at the very core, uh, with all the, the nourishment and goodness of that peace flowing out into every corner of our lives. Father, give us joy in Jesus. Give us assurance in Jesus. And give us peace in Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.